Do you ever feel like you just run, run, run? You ever feel that way? Sometimes I feel that way. That's the way I feel this morning. I stand up here, to, and I, now I come to preach, and I feel like I just need to catch my breath for a second and, uh, because I don't want to go into this with the wrong spirit. So let's just have a quick word of prayer, and uh, y'all pray for me as I, as I bring the message this morning. Father, bless now in this time. Still my heart, settle my mind, focus my thoughts, and uh, God, I just pray you would give me clarity and thought and speech to proclaim the message that you have put on my heart, prepared in me this week. I pray it is from you. I pray I'm simply the messenger this morning, and we'll hear from you and from your word, and you'll use it for, to do great and mighty things in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, now, we've been talking about this book of Philippians is, is, is Paul's, you know, we would say it's a book about joy. What we've already found in just a few weeks is it's really not a book about joy. What we found is that joy is the byproduct of some other things. And that's really the, the digging into this book is finding out what are the things that bring joy? What are the things that result in joy? This equals joy. So what is the this? And one of the things we've already realized that chapter one deals with is the single mind. We've talked about having the right mindset in each chapter is a different state of mind. And in chapter one, Paul is really dealing with the single mind, the mind that is focused on Christ. That's what we've been looking at. Paul was single-minded. He was, he, was, um, he was focused on Christ first, foremost, only and always in his life. It was about Paul. It wasn't about, I mean, it was about Christ. It wasn't about Paul. Paul was on down the line. Christ was first. He was preeminent in his life. Now, we've looked at the first couple of weeks, we looked at the, the fellowship of the gospel, that those who are, of us who are believers in Christ, as we serve together, we work together, our, our fellowship together as believers, that fellowship of the gospel. And last week, we looked at the furtherance of the gospel and how that was Paul's heart. So he wanted to see the gospel furthered and how God used the different things in his life. God used Paul's chains. We looked at that and how he used the chains that were on Paul to make Christ known. Christ was made known because of that. Christ uh, won some of the Roman guard, to, to, were won to Christ through Paul's ministry. That was a result of the chains. Another thing was it encouraged the brothers. It emboldened the brothers. It emboldened them in their everyday conversation as they were out and about. It wasn't just the, to go out and preach. It was to go out and to talk to people about their faith. It emboldened them. It encouraged them. They were emboldened by that. It's amazing what persecution does. And it brought them to that place. So God used... Paul's chains, but he also used the critics. And there's the critics, some who, as they preached the gospel, were trying to make it more difficult on Paul. Paul said, Paul said in verse 18, he said, what then? So what? There, what? Who cares? He said, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And this, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul was joyed. The fact, with the fact that the gospel was preached. Regardless of what their motive for preaching it was, Christ was preached. And so God used the critics, but God also used the crisis that Paul was going through. And Paul's in a place where he may or, or may not be uh, killed. He may be vindicated and set free. He may be uh, killed and set free eternally to go be with the Lord. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But in verse 20, he says that Christ, so that now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. That was Paul's desire, is that Christ would be magnified through his life. And whether he died there or he was set free, that he would go on, he would magnify Christ more. But we see that Paul's heart, because his 
single-mindedness is on Christ, we see that his single-minded mind on Christ is about doing what Christ has told us to do, and that's the Great Commission. He was about going forth and furthering the gospel. And so that's where we came to verse 20 last week. We're going to pick up now in verse 21. So as we're talking about this thing of joy, the title I've given the message this morning is this, the not-so-secret secret to Christian joy. The not-so-secret secret. You know, everybody's got the secret for this or that or whatever. Look, it's, it's not a secret. Paul hasn't hidden. God hasn't hidden from us the secret to joy. We, we want to be happy. Too many, too many of us are concerned with happiness. Happiness is always contingent on our circumstances. Man, when things are going great, we feel good. We're happy. When things aren't going great, we don't feel good. We're not happy. We're unhappy. We're, we're, we're in a good, bad place. But we can always have joy. And especially if we keep Christ first, and really, especially, it's really only. If Christ is first in our life, we're going to have joy. If if He's first, everything else can be right in order. If He's not first, nothing else is going to be in order. And so for us to have joy, that's the first thing. But Paul tells here in verse 21, we're going to look at the first step in this, or the first not-so-secret secret to joy, to Christian joy, is this. And Paul says, to live as Christ. So we come to verse 21, it's probably the key verse in the, to this book, and it's the key verse uh, to real joy. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. I'm going to stop right there, because we'll pick up on the other part in a moment. But he says, for me to live, if I'm alive, my life is about Christ. That's what it is. For me to live is Christ. In the Greek, actually, the literal Greek translation would be, for me to live, Christ. It was no, there's, there, there are no verbs in there. It's just, for me to live, Christ. That was the statement. And to die, gain. It's just that simple. It was, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. That, that's what the Greek actually says. That's what Paul actually says. For me to live, Christ. Period. Exclamation mark. Right? That's what his life was about. Now, Paul knew that there was no life without Christ. There's people today that are trying to have life. They're trying to live life to the fullest. And they're doing all these things to have life, to have happiness. They're seeking peace. They're looking for all these things in everything the world has to provide. But the only place to get that, the only place to have peace with God, which brings peace in our life, which then we can have joy, real joy, eternal joy, lasting joy, is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we don't have that, we don't have joy, we can't have joy. Paul understood that there was no life without Christ. In fact, he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And now, and you he made alive. He's talking to believers. And before, he's saying, you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Folks, if we've not been born again, we are dead in trespasses and sins. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Not enough good works. I'm a good person. It'll outweigh the bad I've done. Doesn't work that way. It, it is, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse 4, here's what I love. I love this one, those hinge verses. We're dead, we were dead, but God. It's a hinge verse. Everything turns. Here's the bad news, but God. And when you see but God, there's a great, great uh, positive thing that's about to come. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us us in Christ Jesus. Now, you want a good biblical de- definition of, of grace? 
I think there's a good definition of grace right there. It says, the exceeding riches of His grace. He shows this. He shows the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I think that's a great definition of grace. His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's what grace is right there. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. It is God's grace that saves us. We don't save ourselves, but it is through faith. It is through our faith in Jesus Christ that we're saved by God's grace. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We can't boast about it. If we could do it, we could boast about it. We can't boast because we can't do it. We can't save ourselves. We simply have to acknowledge what God has done. He has, God has done everything that must be done for our salvation has been done. We have to come to a place of acknowledging our sin, confessing that sin, repenting, turning from that sin and turning to Christ by faith. When we we do that, when we repent of our sin and we turn to Christ, Christ by faith, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is salvation. He saves our soul. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul, Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's an if there. If anyone is in Christ, because you may not be in Christ. You may think you're in Christ. You you may have a, a false profession or whatever. But he says, if you truly are in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, you are in a personal relationship with Christ, he is a new creation. There is, you are a new creation when you come into Christ, into that relationship with Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, the Greek is very explosive in the same way in this. It says, if anyone in Christ, new creation. It's just that simple. That's what it says. If anyone in Christ, new creation, exclamation mark. It's, it's explosive, the, the, the thought right there. You come into faith with Christ. You come in that relationship with Him. Boom! It's new. Everything's new. All the old is gone, and it's all made new. Without Christ, there is the appearance of life. Listen, without Christ, there is the appearance of life. I was thinking about, I was thinking about this yesterday. I didn't even put this in my notes, but I was thinking about this. And, and, and I'm going to share it because that's how my mind works. We talk about the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm, Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. For a believer, death can only cast a shadow. And so for a true believer, when we die, we don't really face death. We simply, as a believer, because we're alive in Christ, our spirit is alive, so when we die, we we simply pass from life here to life there. We pass from life temporal to life eternal. It's just the opposite. It's just the opposite right here. It's just the opposite because we think we have life. But all we really have right now, if you're not saved, if you're not born again, all you really have is the shadow of life. Because if you die without a personal relationship with Christ, you'll experience real death. And the life you have, it will cease. It won't be life. It'll be eternal death. And it's not death that I die and I'm in a grave and the worms eat me and it's all over. No, it's a death where I'm eternally alive, but I'm separated from God. That is the death of being separated from God, of not being born again. Without Christ, there's the appearance of life, but we're dead. With Christ, there's real life, and it is eternal life. To live is Christ, or to live is because of Christ in me. If if I'm alive, it's because Christ is in me. That's what brings life. John John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. 
He came to give us life and that they may have it more abundantly. He didn't come just to give us life, folks. It wasn't like, hey, you know, I'll save you and you'll have life. And then you just go live like you want to. You just do whatever you want to then because I've given you life. Yeah, I died on the cross so you can live like you want to and, 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 and you have life. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. God says, Christ says that they may have life, but he doesn't just give us life. He gives us life, abundant life. It's a fruitful life. It is a life with purpose and meaning. And it's a life lived for Him. Amen? Amen. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It's no longer me, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's no longer me. If I'm a child of God, it is Christ living in me. we got to put aside this idea of I can just live like I want to because I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Jesus died for me. He paid for all my sin. And I prayed a prayer. And so now I can live like I want to and I'm going to go to heaven. It's bad thinking. It's dangerous thinking. It's not scriptural thinking. It's a change. And when we come into life in Christ... The life is that Christ is living in us. If Christ isn't living in us and changing us, there's no life in us. Therefore, Christ isn't in us. Therefore, we don't have eternal life. I hope that's kind of clear. But when we, when we have Christ in our life, when Christ is our life, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ. When Christ is our life, we have purpose to know as much uh, as we possibly can. That's the pur- I mean, that's what we would purpose to do. If Christ is my life, I want to know everything I can about Him. When Christ is our life, we desire, we will desire to be like Jesus. Well, if I'm going to be like Jesus, I need to know what Jesus is like. That means I need to get in His Word and read His Word and see see what Jesus did and what Jesus said and how Jesus thought and, and the things that He passed on to us. We should desire to be like Him. When Christ is our life, we will make Him known to others. I've said this before. You know, if you if you... You don't care enough about God, about Christ, to share Him with somebody else. I'm not sure you really know Him. There's so many illustrations I can come up with. You, you, could, you could meet someone. You can meet, I mean, I, you just look on Facebook. If anybody in your circle meets somebody that's even a little bit famous, they're going to be a selfie and they're going to post it on Facebook. And you're going to tell me we meet, we meet the living God we come into a personal relationship with the living God and we don't tell anybody? We want to make Him known when Christ is our life. We must understand that for me to live as Christ is not the triumphant sentimentality of a trouble-free life, but it's the joyous embrace of the burdens of the cross of Christ. John 16, says, These things I've spoken to you that in me you may know peace. In the world, listen to me, believer, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God's overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world. And and, and, and in Him, in our relationship with Him, and in this world, living in this world, we're going to have tribulation. And don't think because I'm a Christian, everything should be, you're, don't buy into the lies of the prosperity gospel. It says, oh, you just have enough faith. Everything will be just wonderful. That's not the promise of Scripture. The promise of Scripture is life's going to be tough. Yep. We're going to face tribulation because Christ faced tribulation. This world hated Christ. And this world will hate you as a believer. We're going to face that. 
But Paul understood that, and he fully embraced it. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, that I may know him. Paul knew him. Paul knew Christ. He had a relationship with Christ. But here he says in, verse th- in chapter 3, verse 10 of, of Philippians here, he says again, he says, that I may know him. Paul wanted a deeper knowledge, a stronger knowledge, a more real knowledge of him. He wanted to know him so intimately. He didn't want it to be some flippant thing. He says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul didn't shy away from the reality that life was going to be tough as a believer. He embraced it. He embraced it. He said, I want to be a part of the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. All this meant that Christ was at the conscious, thoughtful, mindful center of everything that Paul did. Paul was full of joy. He had tribulation in his life. He had trouble in his life. But Paul was full of joy. And as we're reading this, we sense his joy. But Paul was Christ first. For me to live is Christ. What is is for you to live? Is it Christ? Paul was single-minded. His mind was set on Christ and his joy was in Christ. I hope this morning you have joy in Christ. I hope Christ is first in your life. I hope he's first in your life. The second thing Paul says here, this not-so-secret secret secret to to Christian joy is this. It's to die as gain. Paul understood that. You know, you know, we've come to a place, I was reading this weekend in, in, in the Victorian days, you know, when people died, they generally died at home. They had the wake at home. They had the service at home. I mean, everything, people talked about death. People talked about, they would talk about death all day because it was something they experienced all the time. People, if they had 10 kids, half of them probably died. There was, death was just, it was just, it was such a part of life. But they would never talk about sex. I mean, it would be shameful to talk about sex. You know where we've gotten to in America? In America today, very few people die at home. You don't don't have wakes at home. You don't, everything is somewhere else and we, and we stay away from it. And you know what we hear? I even hear this in the church. I don't like to talk about death. I don't like to talk about that. I don't, I don't, it's, it's a, it's a morbid, uh, why is it a morbid subject? It's not a morbid subject. It's a part of, it's, it's the most real, you know what the death rate is? Anybody heard lately? <laughs> it's as much a part of our life as life. Unless the Lord comes back, if he raptures, we're all going to, a hundred years from now, maybe less, every person in this room will have died if the Lord tarries. Right? So, I mean, why do we fear that? But yet, conversations, even, folks, even in Christian circles, we were at a conference. We were at a Christian conference a few weeks ago, and we were embarrassed. We were embarrassed by the sexual innuendo that was made by the leadership in a Christian conference in our Southern Baptist denomination. Am I wrong? We were like, I mean, we're like looking at each other like, I don't think I'd have said that. Um, We'll talk about sex very easy, but we don't want to talk about death. Death is scary for us. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To die is gain. To die is to go be with the Lord. He says, it's better. It's gain. It's better. Verse 22, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. And what he said there, it wasn't he couldn't tell like, you know, I don't, I, I just can't tell what it would be. He says, I don't know. 
He said, I don't know, and you got to understand, this is a hypothetical. I'm probably getting ahead of myself a little bit, but this is a hypothetical. Paul doesn't know. Some speculate Paul already knew he had had a prophetic revelation. But if you go to chapter 2, you see that Paul didn't know whether he was going to live or die. He didn't know, but he's speculating here. He makes some speculations. He has a confidence that he's going to live. So just understand that as you're reading this. He has a confidence he's going to live, but he's having this conversation. It's almost like one of those conversations you have in your head, but he's putting it on paper. And here's the great thing about it. We get to see that. We get to see his thinking on this. They got to hear his thoughts on this. He says, listen, if I live on in the flesh, it's going to mean more fruit for my labor. There's going to be more fruit for my labor. There's going to be more rewards in heaven. There's There'll be more people in heaven. There'll be more things, these, these things. Yet I don't know what I would choose. Do I choose to go be with the Lord? Or do I choose here. Verse 23, for I'm hard pressed between the two. Do I die and go be with the Lord or, or do I stay here? I'm hard pressed. It's, you know, we would say between a rock and a hard place. We use that between two bad things. Paul's, I'm hard pressed between two good things. I don't know which one. Do I stay here? That's good. Do I go and be with the Lord? That's better. You know, so he says, He says, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now, the Greek says it this way, much more better, much more better. We wouldn't say it that way. Miss Benna, you're a, a, that's not good English, is it? I got a friend in Georgia, that was one of his sayings. He'd say, mo better, mo better right there, mo better. Now, listen, that's bad English. But in the Greek, it's really, it's good Greek. The way the Greek writes, that's good Greek. It's bad English, good Greek, but it's great theology. It's great theology. It, to go and depart and be with the Lord is far better. Death brought no fear for Paul, and death should not bring fear for the born-again child of God. Our, de- our destination is set, and our Savior is sure. Amen? We shouldn't, we shouldn't have any fear about death. Now, to Paul, death simply meant to depart. That's what he says, having a desire to depart. He, he just, I mean, that word depart, it's, 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 it's a great word because he... Look at how the word is used, different ways. Soldiers would use the word, and when they used the word depart, it meant to take down your tent and move on. So when they were done with camp, they'd take the tent down, break, break camp, and they moved on. It's a moving on. That's what Paul was saying. I like to move on. And it, what a picture of the Christian death. The tent that we live in is taken down at death, and the Spirit goes home to be with Christ in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul wrote about this. He says in verse 1, he says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 6 says, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So Paul's saying, hey, this body's a tent. And one day if this tent's destroyed, when, when this tent's gone, we're going to go be with the Lord. We'll be, we're going to depart and go be with the Lord. But he also, when you think about what he's saying there, that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. You know what? Life in this body is a hindrance to us being with God. So that's part of this transition. Verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul was not scared of death one bit. He, he wasn't dreading death. If anything, and listen, understand, Paul wasn't suicidal. He wasn't depressed. He wasn't hoping he'd die tomorrow. That wasn't what was going on. But Paul was looking forward to death because he knew what was on the other side of that. The, the last breath here meant the first breath there and the presence, in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sailors use that word depart. It means to loosen a ship and set sail. It's again, it's this idea of moving, moving on. Depart was also a 
political term. It described the setting free of a prisoner. So it was used in that context as setting free of a prisoner. God's people are in bondage because of the limitations of the body and the temptations of the flesh. But death will free us from those things. So we'll be freed from the body. When we're freed from the body and we're with the Lord, we won't be in bondage and slavery to those things anymore. We'll be free. Or we'll be freed at the rapture if that should come first. Then finally, depart was a word used by farmers, and it meant to unyoke the oxen. And we we don't know what that is. The yoke is the thing they would put across two oxen or two cows or whatever you might yoke them, and and it's it's that piece of wood thing that would go across their shoulders, and they would strap them together. They were yoked together. They worked together. Listen, Paul had been yoked to Christ. He was working with Christ. He was working, you know, it was Paul out here doing stuff, but it was Christ doing it in him and Christ doing it through him, Christ doing it with him. And and, and Jesus said, look, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's easy. Paul had an easy burden, but his ministry, man, it was tough. He carried a lot of burdens in his ministry. And this idea of being unyoked, being freed from his body, man, what a great thought. To depart to be with Christ would mean laying aside the burdens. His earthly work would be completed. To die is gain because we will be with Jesus. Notice that Paul doesn't talk about going to heaven. I don't know if we ever read anywhere where Paul says, Hey, I can't wait to go to heaven. Paul didn't talk about going to heaven. Where's Paul talk about? Being with the Lord. Lord. He's talking about being with the Lord. Heaven is only heaven because of who's there. That's where Christ is. That's where he wanted to be, with the Lord. Many years ago now, probably last time I went was, oh man, about 18 years ago, I went to Tajikistan, last of four trips. One of those trips I went, it was 23 days. That's nothing for some guys. Some of you guys have done, man, Rob, I feel embarrassed to even talk about this because of the length of the trips you've taken. But I'm going to tell you, 23 days for me was a long time. In 23 days, here's what I found out in 23 days. I missed home. I missed home. I missed my bed. I missed my my shower. I missed my bathroom. When you're living in a third world country for three weeks, I mean, you miss those things. But that's not why I missed home. You know why I missed home? Because home is where Gina is. And home is where my kids are. The ones that I love, wherever they are, if it's Indiana or Georgia or, or, or Central Florida, wherever my family is, the ones I love, that's home. Man, that's why heaven is heaven. And that's why we can't wait to be there because of who's there. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is there and we want to be with him. Paul's deepest desire was to be with Christ. Again, in verse 23, he says, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having, he says, having a desire a desire. Now that word desire, it's a strong word. It's actually, it's actually the same word that is translated in other places as a, as a strong sexual lust. And that's not what the meaning of is here, but it is the word of lust. Paul wasn't just saying, yeah, you know, I got a flippant desire to go be with the Lord. No, Paul lusted. There was a lust. There was a strong desire to leave here and be with God. Do we have that desire? I don't, I don't think a lot of times us as believers today that we have that desire. We're, 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 we're very fond of life here. Paul wasn't very fond of life here. He, he loved his ministry, and, and I'm going to talk about that, but Paul was ready to go. He had that very strong desire to go be the Lord. 
Paul didn't have a, half, a half-hearted approach to dying. He desired to depart, to leave the tent, to break camp, to set sail, to unyoke, to die, and go be with the Lord. That was his desire. But he said, for me to live, as long as I live, it's for Christ. But when I die, it's gain. I've had people ask if their loved ones were in heaven watching them. And you may have that question this morning. I'm just, I'm, my strong belief and conviction is this. Know that they are not. And I'll tell you why they're not. Because they're with Jesus. And he has all of their attention and all of their worship. I don't, I don't believe for a second. Uh, you know, and we talk about, I, I read things that say, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven because I want to see this. I want to know that. I want to I go. I, saw, I read something. The guy said, I want to go find Haggai and just tell him I like this book. <laughs> uh, whatever. You, you may think that now. You get in the presence of Almighty God, everything else is going to disappear. Well, I've got this question that's just lingered, it's just bothered me for just years. I can't wait to ask God. You ain't going to care. You're going to be in the presence of the answers. I don't know that we're going to care about that. We're going to, am I going to dance before the Lord? I don't think I'm going to dance before the Lord. I think I'm going to have a hard time getting my face up off the dirt to, to even look at Him. But that's, that's what it's going to be. This is Almighty God, people. When we get in the presence of, of our Savior, Man, our, our, our mind is not going to be on the things down here. It's going to be on Him and Him alone. Amen? Amen. Psalm 30, uh, 73 verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. That's where our hearts ought to be as believers. Now, now that doesn't mean I should go, well, that means it's all about Jesus. I don't, Gina, I can neglect you. I can neglect the kids. It's just all about, let's not get silly, right? But, but our focus If I love Christ right, I'm going to love the others in my life right. Amen? Paul knew that to die was to gain. To go from the shadow of life to real life, to eternal life. D.L. Moody once said that there will be a day when when you read in the papers that Moody is dead. He said, don't believe a word of it. For on that day I shall be more alive than I've ever been. John Walvard said... But to die is not to give up Christ, but rather it is to gain. To die would be freedom from the chains, deliverance from self, the end of suffering, the, uh, the, the, the curtain on strife, the beginning of a new life of freedom and abundance, the experience of being completely like Christ. When we keep our minds on that, to die is gain. If for me to live is anything but Christ, at death we lose whatever that anything is. But for the dedicated Christian to die is gain. We do not lose Christ, we gain. Psalm 16, 11, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Man, the, 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 the ultimate joy is going to be when we're in His presence. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Revelation 21, 4 speaks of the, the time that, that will come and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the for, former things have passed away. Folks, if we think living down here is so wonderful, uh, just, just get your mind set on what eternity is going to be like. And we'll, our fingers and our grips on this life here will loosen up. You won't have to pry my fingers off. Now, I, let me just say this. I'll say this because people go, well, you know, you're worried about how you die. I might be worried about how I die, but I ain't, I ain't one bit scared of dying. I mean, I, I'm going scuba diving tomorrow. Y'all pray for me, okay? <laughs> I'm supposed to do a refresher course because I ain't been in about two and a half years. I'm not doing it, okay? I'm not doing it. So if I drown, y'all, y'all know, but here's the deal. I'm, I, I don't want to drown. 
I'd rather drown than die, you know, burn in a car or something, but I, I don't want to drown. I don't, so, you know, I might think about how I go, but I ain't worried about going. I ain't worried about going. And if I, if I go, y'all have it. Y'all put the box here and, and, and y'all act like you weep a little bit or something and then rejoice for me, okay? Rejoice because I'm, I'm like D.L. Moody. I'll never be more alive than I'll be then, all right? Among the ruins of ancient Carthage, there's an inscription carved by a Roman soldier, and it says this. It says, to laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to game, that is life. And you got to understand, the bath there is not, or, or to bathe, it's not, it's, not, um, it's not a bath. He's talking about the sex houses. He's talking about the immorality of sin of, of that. So he says to, to laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to game, that is life. Look, that's what our world says today. It's all about laughing, live it up, party hard, you know, go out and hunt, chase down whatever, you know, today and, and go to the party houses, the house of immorality, live in sin, all of that stuff. That's life. Boy, that's living. That's not living. That's not living. How sad and how hopeless that is. No matter how you look at it, nothing can steal your joy if you possess the single mind and death only adds to our joy. For to me, to live as Christ, that's joy. And to die as gain, that's eternal joy. There's the secrets to joy. So, third point is this. What would Paul choose? What would Paul choose? So what, what to choose? Verse 22 again says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean a fruit from my labor. So Paul was saying, look, there'll be more. If I live on, if God doesn't allow them to kill me, He allows me to live, that's His plan, then there'll be more, more worshipers brought to Christ. There'll be more churches planted. There'll be more believers discipled. He was all in for that. He says, if I live on, there's, there's more work to do. There's more fruit from the labor that I'm going to do. That, that, there's good things to be had. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I just don't know what I would choose. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having desired to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Verse 24. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And now we're getting to the heart of, of the decision, what Paul's decision would be if he could actually make the decision. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Wow, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul doesn't know what God will do. So again, it's just a hypothetical scenario, but we see his mind. We're hearing his thoughts on this. And think about this. I want you to see this, see this in color. See what he's saying here in color. What's going on here? Paul loved living for Christ. He loved it. He loved serving God. He loved his ministry. But, but he made it very clear that he wanted more to go and be with Christ. Man, he, you can almost sense that Paul's like, man, if I live, that's going to be good. And I'll get to come see you guys again in Philippi. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to plant some more churches and we'll see other people come to faith. And I'm going to disciple you guys more. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, man, all those things are good. But boy, if they, if they take my head off here in a couple of weeks, that's okay too. In fact, that, that'd be even more better because I get to go, I can list out all this. All the, all the hurts and the heartaches and the worry and the stress of this world, I can lay all that aside and I can be with him. I can be with Christ. But what a man Paul was. If it was up to him, he was willing to postpone going to be with the Lord in order to help Christians grow. Amen. Now, uh, you, you remember in the, some other passages in Romans, we, we read where Paul was willing to go to hell in order for his Jewish brother and to, brothers to be saved. 
Romans 9, he says, I tell, you, I, tell you, uh, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. My countrymen, according to the flesh. Now, folks, I don't know that I can say that. Paul had a heart. I, I, he's beyond where I'm at in my walk with Christ. Because I'm not, no, I don't think I'm willing to, I, I love my kids. But my kids have heard the gospel. And my kids rejected the gospel. That's, that's, they have, I don't know that I would give my soul for them to go to heaven. I don't know that I would be willing to go to hell for all of eternity for them. Paul was willing to do that. That was Paul's heart. That was the love he had for his people. And he has a love so much for these people. He says, you know what? I'd much rather go be with the Lord. But if the Lord leaves me here, that, that's, 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 you know what? That's okay. That, in fact, that's what I would choose. I choose to stay because it's more important for you. It's a, it's a bigger deal for you. It's not about what I want, but it's about what, what is good for you and what God would want. And, and it, 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 it just ought to amaze us. Um, it ought to grab us right here that Paul's deep longing for heaven and the face of Christ was subordinate to what was best for his converts. He was more interested in them than he was him. Paul was not only a, a Christ first man, he was a gospel first man, but he was also an, an others first man. He put others first. And Paul's deliberations here modeled for the Philippians what he would clearly teach in the next chapter. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2 said, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each one, uh, each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look, not, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Christ was more important to him than his own life. Christ was more important to him than the very life itself. And, and others were more important to him than being in heaven with Christ. Now, he knew he was going to be in heaven with Christ. But he was willing to delay that, to delay what he so wanted because they needed him. What a heart. What a needed message for the church today as we live in a me-first, self-centered culture that makes self-fulfillment its entitlement. Our culture just says it's all about me. It's all about what I want and what I want right now. It's me, me, me. Again, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. And if Christ lives in me, I ought to act a lot like Christ. Boy, Paul really modeled that, didn't he? He had, the, he had the mind of Christ. His mind was always on Christ, and thus he had the mind of Christ. And he modeled it in every area of his life. Listen, Christ gave all for others. Paul was willing to give all for others. Christ put others first. Even, even when he departed and went back to the Father, it was what was best for them, the disciples then, and it was best for us because he sent the Holy Spirit. Everything he did was about us more than it was about him. And Paul has that same attitude. Aaron and, and uh, Jim, you guys can come forward as we begin to wrap up. The fourth thing here 
is just kind of in summation. The not-so-secret secret to Christian joy. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, he wasn't saying imitate me when I mess up and get mad on the interstate. He, said, don't, he wasn't saying imitate me when I have a family quarrel and I don't act like Jesus acted. He says imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And the way Paul lived his life and served Christ and, 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 and as, he, as he followed him and the things he did, Paul was very confident in that, that, it, that I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm living my life following him. Look at me. Follow me. Uh, imitate me. Live your life like I'm living my life for Jesus. Paul, and so here's what we can learn from that. Paul was single-minded, and that's where we ought to be. We ought to have a mindset on Christ. Shouldn't be on my job. We have to work. Scriptures teach of, of that. I, gotta be, I'm, I have a responsibility with my family. We have all of these responsibilities in life, but first in our life should be Christ. Amen. Christ first. He rejoiced in the fellowship of the gospel. He was focused on the furtherance of the gospel. He put Christ first, he put others second, and he put himself last. I think in today's culture we would look at that and flip it all the way around, wouldn't we? It's me first, me second, probably me third and fourth, and then maybe somebody else, and then way, way, way down the line, if at all, then God is in there. But for us as believers, that's, that's not how we should be. We want joy in our life. That joy is being Christ first, people second, us last people. You know, even Ephesians 5, 25, where the Lord was speaking there when Paul was writing about husbands, he said, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's our attitude, folks. If we want joy in our life, that's how we can have joy. We can have it now. We can have that joy as we put Christ first in everything we do, and we put others second. We put them ahead of us. We, 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 we esteem them higher than ourselves. And when we do that, boy, there's great joy that comes from that. This morning, the, the altar, we still have an altar. Some of the altar is, uh, we've, got, we've got an offering here on the altar. We have some altar left. Maybe this morning, uh, maybe you just want to come down and have some time to talk with the Lord this morning. Maybe, there, maybe there's, you want that joy. Maybe as a believer, you just go, you know what, I, I, I don't have the joy the way I want to have that joy. Maybe, it's, it, it, maybe there's just some conflicting things. that maybe I don't know what it might be. God knows. And you know. Whatever it is you need to deal with the Lord this morning, if you need a little time with Him, come down here to the altar. Come this morning and talk to Him. Put that to Him. Cast that on Him. Cast it on you. Care upon Him because He cares for you. Talk to Him. But this morning, if you're here and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you can't have that joy yet because you don't have a relationship with Christ yet. And that's the first step. And I think the gospel was pretty clearly presented this morning, but it's very simple. The gospel is very simple. is that we've been separated from God by our sin. But God, because He loved us, sent His Son Jesus. His sinless Son, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and went to the cross to die on the cross that was my cross. Took my place. He, I was there. And he took my hand and lifted me off the cross. And he took my place. And he died in my place. He took my death. He took your death. 
And this morning, if you've never come into a personal relationship with Christ, you've never come to that place of understanding I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, I pray that today's the day that you might confess your sin to the Lord and call upon the name of the Lord to save you. You know what the Bible says? If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. That's not a question. That's, that's, not a, that's not a question. That's not a hypothetical. That is a reality. It's a promise that if you do that, God says, I'll do this. If you repent and believe, I'll save your soul. This morning, if you need to, if you need to be born again, we're going to hear in just a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to stand and we're going to sing together. But I invite you, if you need to know Jesus, or maybe this morning you need to just come and get a little closer to Jesus, whatever it is, I invite you to respond to that and, and, then, and then just act upon that and come talk to the Lord. Father, I pray you'll bless now, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, Lord, Paul's heart, his heart for you, his heart for others. And, Lord, how he has modeled that for us and he's written it down so that we can... Lord, we can have this joy that Paul experienced. He's made it very clear. This is not a a, a secretive secret. This is an open secret. It's not a secret. You made it very clear. We'll just put you first. Love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love our neighbors, ourselves. Put ourselves last. We can have great, great, great joy in our lives. God, whatever you're doing in our hearts, I pray we'll respond to it right now. In Jesus' name we pray.